0: going to be picking up in uh, verse 16, but I want to drop back to 15 for a second. So here is Silas and Timothy. Um, They stayed back in Berea. So they started in Thessalonica and then they left Luke there when they left for Berea. And so Paul, Silas, Timothy go to Berea. They're Teaching in Berea, the Bereans were like sponges. They wanted to hear what the word had to say. Not only did they want to hear it, but they wanted to find out for themselves. And so daily they would search the scriptures to see if what they were being taught was true. I encourage that. Because if I'm teaching something up here, you should know whether or not it's true. And the only way you're going to know whether or not it's true is if you search it for yourself and find out if it's true. Now, how do you know? Because the Holy Spirit reveals things that are true and things that are false. So if I teach something that isn't exactly accurate, the Holy Spirit will say, hold on, that doesn't sound right. You know, and go check this. And the Holy Spirit gives us direction. We're going to talk about more about that in a minute. But here, Paul was going from place to place with these group of guys. He left Silas and Timothy in Berea. He goes to Athens because those people from Thessalonica came to Berea to hunt him down. Why did they care that much? To come to chase him out of Berea. Because they just hated the word of God. That same hatred exists today. For the word of God. And people don't want to hear the word of God. Because it conflicts with their lifestyle. They are condemned by the word of God. They're condemned by the Holy Spirit. They're convicted. You know when we hear... That you can believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He sent his Son, God, sent his Son Jesus to die for our sins, that anyone who believes can be saved. But he didn't come to condemn people because they were condemned already because of sin. And so here, Paul was just enlightening everyone as to the condemnation that they were currently under. People today don't want to hear that they're under condemnation. Instead, they want to hear that they're good with God. That no matter what condition they're in, no matter what they're doing, in the, they're good with God. And that they're good people. Do you know how you know if you're a good person? Just look around you and find one that's worse than you, and you can say, I must be a good person, because that guy's a jerk. And, and so I must be good. You know, and that's how people evaluate themselves whether or not they're holy because they're better than someone else. Well, we can always find someone better than yourself because we're comparing ourselves to a fallen world. There's only one person we should be comparing ourselves, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the one that set the standard. And when we compare ourselves to him... If we say, hey, I'm just as good as he is, we're we're in trouble. Look for the lightning bolt because we're in trouble at that point, you know. We, we don't want to get there. Today's message is titled, The Unknown God. And we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 17 in verse 16 where it says, now, While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked in him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Well, that's interesting. Given over to idols. How did he see that it was given over to idols? Because they probably had statues, flags, temples altars, they had all of these things out there that weren't of God but were of the world and people were worshiping them. When I read this, I thought, that's our world today. You can go to some cities and you can see idol worship in those cities. It doesn't look like what it looked like here, but the idol worship may look like flags that they hang in all on all the streets. It may look like the homeless injecting themselves with drugs on the street corners, living in tents. I, I know you would think what homeless people aren't idol worshipers. Well, anything that becomes the object of our attention outside of God becomes a form of idol worship. And I believe many of the people that are out there, oh, they're they're ill. Many of them are drug addicted and they're just putting more drugs into their system. They worship at the altar of drugs. And there are some that worship at the altar of sex and some worship at the altar of business or at the altar of gambling. Sin is everywhere but when I mention these things there are some cities that will just snap right into your head. You know what I'm talking about. I don't have to mention the city's names but they're out there. They're out there because that's where people are congregated and worshiping together at those different altars. Paul goes into Athens. Athens was a city that had been around for a long time. About 500 years earlier, Athens was at its peak. It was already on the decline by this point. Oh, it still had the beautiful buildings, and it was still a rich cultural center, but it was on the decline at this point. And so, uh, you know, Athens was a unique place. It was different, and it's still there today. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. And so he went in, as Paul always did, when he went somewhere, there was a synagogue. He's going to go in, and he's going to minister to the Jews first, and after then the Gentiles. And so here he goes in once again. He finds that there's a synagogue. He goes and ministers to the Jews there. You see, he didn't immediately go to those idol worshipers, he wanted to maybe go where people may be receptive. The, the Jews knew there was one God. And so, okay, that's a, that's a head start. I can go in there and talk to people that are already familiar with the one true God. And now I'll be able to go there. And the Gentiles that went in to worship the one true God. And he goes in there. But after ministering in there, He goes out to the marketplace because that's where everyone is. And going out to the marketplace, you're going to interact with every kind of person from every walk up. They're all there buying and selling and doing whatever they do in the market. That was just a great place to go be social. Today, it's like, oh, we're going to the bar to go hang out. A lot of people go to bars to hang out, meet other people and stuff like that. There it was the marketplace. You go to the marketplace, that's where you meet people, you socialize, you hear the latest drama. You know, doesn't that interest you? Go go to Safeway and go hang out in the aisles there. You'll hear all kinds of drama there. It was great, you know, just hanging out and talking with people in the aisles. Yeah. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? So Epicurean and Stoic philosophers... The Epicureans were uh, unique in that they didn't believe in a God. Because if there was a God, he wouldn't allow evil. And since there's evil in the world, then obviously there's no God. And so the Epicureans lived for one thing, pleasure. Oh, sounds like today. Sounds like our world today. People living for pleasure, finding the things. If it makes you feel good, do it. And that's what people are living for now. People are so distracted with pleasure that they don't see what's actually going on in the world right now. They, As long as they feel good about themselves, as long as they have an income, have food, have whatever they 're okay it doesn 't matter what everyone else is doing, how crazy everything else is going, as long as they are content with what 's going then then they 're good they 'll just ignore everything else a couple of years there 'll be a change in, in in order, and someone else will be in there and they 'll do something different and it doesn 't matter no matter who 's in the office of our executive, and the president, and in the in the judiciary, in Congress, whoever those people are, it doesn't change that much from time to time. Except, of course, you know, price of gas or something like that. It goes up this time. Next time it'll go down. Or it may go up even higher. Who knows? But here's the thing. We don't live... And we don't base our security on what's going on in the world right now. We base our security on who this world belongs to. Well, right now, Satan is in control. He, he's been given control. He, he has the keys. But there is someone, I think he's mounting a horse right now. And there's someone that's going to be coming back very soon and he's going to take back the title deed of the earth. It's going to be given back to him. But until that time, we can expect to see things pretty messed up. Up until he comes and takes us away. And then after that, they're going to really find out what the world is like without the Holy Spirit living in the church on this earth. Now, the Holy Spirit is still going to be here. There'll be many people that will come into a relationship with Jesus immediately because we've been telling them Jesus is coming. And they've been saying, yeah, been hearing that for a long time. Well, the Bible says that's what they're going to say. And then when it actually happens they're going to have their eyes open. And they're, oh, this wasn't aliens. You know, th- this wasn't what they're saying in the news. They, they're they going to know what it is. And um, unfortunately, they're going to have to go through a lot of bad stuff. So here is Paul in this city, Athens ministering. And the Stoic and Epicureans... Oh, first of all, the Epicureans. All right. The Epicureans live for pleasure. I apologize. Stoics, on the other hand, are very Stoic. They don't... They're they're like Vulcans. (laughs) If you ever watch Star Wars, you know what Vulcans are like. They, They have no emotion whatsoever. Okay. So Vulcans... Um, you know, just their whole purpose was information, gaining information and learning, um, you know, from experience. But we're not going to crack a smile. We're very stoic about this. And, and sometimes I have been called stoic. And uh, if you ever see me and I don't have a smile on my face, it's because I'm practicing Stoicism. Uh, If that's a word. Anyway, the Stoics, they just wanted information. There's a lot of people like that today too. They want information. They want to live their life based on science and information. Here's the problem. Their science is messed up. I've heard they just found a tooth in Georgia from a 1.6 million year old or 1.8 million year old person. They found a tooth. How in the world do they know that that tooth is 1.8 million years old? Because there was a Twinkie right next to it that was dated 1.8 million years ago. And we know that Twinkies last forever. So, how do they know this? Well, there is no one 1.8 million years old that can say, oh yeah, I was there when that guy was. It, it's not, you know, it's ridiculous that we live by these things that they find out and then, uh, and then they realize they were wrong, you know. And, and it's very sad because people are deceived into believing that. That story is out there right now, and there are people that are saying, yes, I knew evolution was true. Based on someone saying the tooth is 1.8 million years. I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. But people want to be deceived. They, they really would rather be deceived because then it tells them there is no God and then they can feel better about themselves. Oh, we're just evolving. There are a lot of people that aren't evolving. <laughs> they're, they're stuck, you know. And then how? if we are evolving, how come we're not getting better? You know, it, it's, it just seems to be getting much and much worse. So these Epicureans and Stoics, they don't even agree with each other. But here they are in the marketplace and they say, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So what was Paul preaching? Paul was not out there. Folks, you don't have to go out there with a degree in evolutionary biology to explain to people how, oh, no, it's impossible, this couldn't have happened, you know, and we have scientific evidence that shows the earth is less than 10,000 years old, and so on and so You don't have to do that. We have to do the same thing that Paul is doing. He shares Jesus Christ people like to deny Jesus Christ. They want to ignore who he is. Our whole calendar is built on Jesus Christ. B.C. A.D. A.D. Anno Domini. In the year of our Lord. Now, yes, a king in 300 A.D. actually made that and put that in place. But If it were not true, it would have gone away. It would have gone by the wayside. It would have changed by now. But 2,000 years later, it stands because it is the truth. And that's how we keep track of time because of this calendar that was put in place. And I believe it's just another one of those God fingerprint things where God wants to show us he's in charge of all these things. So Paul is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That's the gospel. We don't have to prove to anyone anything. We prove it to them by how we live our lives. If I believe something, you're going to see it by how I live. You're going to see it by the things I talk about, the, the way that I act with other people except on the highway, that's com- that's completely a different subject. The Lord's still working on me there. But when it comes to shopping at Safeway, I'm much better now. I have not hit any old ladies with my shopping cart in weeks. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you get tempted to... Act irrationally at times when you're in situations where people are acting rude and, and obnoxious. And, and, and that's the time where we have to shine. That's the time where we have to really shine the light of Jesus Christ so that people can know what we believe by how we live. And so they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. So they said, hey, come to the Areopagus with us. The Areopagus was a place where they gathered, where they talked about all these things. It was up on Mars Hill. And they would gather in this Area And and they would hold court there. They would uh, discuss different uh, new ideas, doctrines. And they wanted to bring him there so they can hear from him and share with all of those people in uh, the Areopagus. Excuse me. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else Either to tell or to hear some new thing. Go to the Areopagus and you can tell about a new thing or you can hear about a new thing. The Areopagus was the Facebook of 2,000 years ago. Okay, that's really what it is. It was their social media interaction. You go to the Areopagus to hear something new or to share something new. And people would go there and listen. And you know what? You're not convincing anyone really. Because all of the people there were not there to be convinced of something new. They were there so they can argue or have an opinion about Something new. And so they would hear what you had to say, and they would say, okay, this is why it's false. Or this is in contradiction to that. And it doesn't matter if what they believed is true or not. You know, I get into discussions on the internet about many different topics once saved, always saved. Then there's those people that say, no, not once saved, always saved. And they argue from the scriptures why that is not true. And then others argue how it's true. And then I say, who cares? Are you saved? (laughs) I don't care if it's once saved, always saved. I don't care if you agree with that or not. Are you saved? That's what matters. It comes down to that. You know? Well, I don't believe there's going to be a a pre-trib rapture. I believe it's going to be mid-trib. Or I believe it's going to be post-trib, pre-wrath. I don't believe there's going to be a rapture at all. I think you people are all just out of your mind. And these are the discussions that people have. You know what it does? Distracts people from the truth. From the importance of the truth. Now, I believe it's good to have a position on this. I use scripture to do that. I formulate my position based on what scripture tells me. Now, other people formulate their position also based on scripture, except here's the difference. I rely on a literal interpretation of the scripture. And many of the other positions rely on their understanding of the scripture to be allegory. If they don't understand it or they can't explain it, it's allegory. It's not literal. But if you read it and you um, cross-reference it with other scriptures, you find that it is very literal. When Daniel wrote chapter 12 of his book, he said, in the last days, it's going to be crazy. Information is going to be increasing. And they say now that our information is now doubling every year or year and a half, I think it is. Our information is doubling. It doesn't mean it's true. It's just information is doubling. There's all kinds of information. Hey, got a tooth, 1.8 million years old. Hey, some great information. That in and of itself will now produce all this other information that will now support it or refute that. And it's just escalating at the last days that we're living in. We should expect to see this. So if we're living in those days and we're seeing these things, what should we be doing? We should be keeping our focus here on the word of God. Because when you see all these things, look up because your redemption draws near. And we are at that point where all of these things are falling into place. Everything that the Bible says is going to happen before the return of Jesus is happening today right before our very eyes. And I believe that there is a division going on between the sheep and the goats. I believe that we're seeing God allow things to take place so that people have to decide what they believe and who they're going to follow. And so as Paul is standing there in the Areopagus and he's going to be sharing this information, we can go onto Facebook and read information and we can be dragged from one side to the other. We can believe it or deny it or whatever the case may be. But the most important thing is, is it true? And if it's not true, why even entertain it? Why get into an argument about something? I don't have to prove to you something is not true. I really don't. And I'm not going to be able to. Because if I tell you something's not true, 50 people will get right next to you and say, yes, it is. I believe it. You know, And if I believe it and you believe it, and this guy believes, I don't know who he is, but he believes it too. So we're friends. And now you're fighting against an argument of people that they don't even know what they believe. That's why we're supposed to know what we believe. We're called to know what we believe and then be able to share with others what we believe and why we believe it. So Paul is not out there trying to argue against idols. People today want to argue against the work of the enemy. They want to fight about everything that is wrong in the world, everything that's evil, everything that they want to fight against it all. No, this is wrong. That's wrong. This is evil. Oh, uh, why? Because the road is broad that leads to destruction. There are many people that are on it. How about showing them where the truth is? It's on this narrow path that leads to the gate that goes to eternity. That's where our focus needs to be. Not on the traffic jam heading to hell, but on that narrow road. You know, I I went out to my daughter's boyfriend's house last night. Uh, he, it was his birthday, and we went out there for a party, and it was on the, it's on the other side of the valley. His address isn't in my GPS. So if you punch it in, it says, well, do you want to just go to the center point? Well, the center point in my GPS isn't anywhere near his house. Fortunately, Cheryl's phone was able to you know, get the address and we and we used her phone for direct, but if I used my g p s we'd be driving around for the rest of the night you know and and, uh, and I had been there before, so I still wouldn't be able to find it and and, and so we can get caught up going to the place we want to go to. But get lost because we don't have the right directions. We need to have the accurate directions for where we are going. That can be found in the Word of God. We don't need to look at other places. I don't go to Facebook to fact check the Word of God. Okay? I, I, I go to the Word of God to fact check the Word of God. And so here they are getting together there. And then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Can you see them now? These men of Athens that are like, yes, we are very religious. But I believe Paul was being very sarcastic when he said this. I don't think that he was pumping them up or or trying to get on their good. He, He was saying, hey, I can tell something about you. You're very religious. And then he says, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. So here he is. He is paying attention to everything. He sees all the altars that are built to all the different gods. But then there's an altar built to the unknown God. And he says, oh, I'm going to use this. But see, I don't think that Paul came up with that. I believe that was the Holy Spirit that came up with that. The Holy Spirit knew what Paul needed to say to them and gave Paul that wisdom to say it. Folks, it's the same Holy Spirit that lives within you. Same Holy Spirit. He gives you that same knowledge and wisdom when the time is necessary. Oh, don't go and prepare when you go into the courts. Don't go and prepare to say what you're going to say before the king. I'll give you the words to speak at that time. So here's the thing. We just need to be worded up. We need to be prepared because when we have the word dwelling within us, for your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not only that, but then I can have that word pour out of me. And then share it with others. And it is going to cut like a knife. It's going to do the work that you want to accomplish. And I think that's how Paul was. Paul was like, oh, this is the leading of the Spirit. And now he says, hey, I saw this altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore... The one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Pow. He is going to share something with them. Here's the good thing. The good thing is they have an altar to the unknown God. That means that they were willing to admit that there was something they didn't know. And the Holy Spirit uses that as an opening to get to their heart. Here, it, it, it's the unknown God, I'm going to tell you who that unknown. I, uh, for $50, I'm going to tell you, no, he didn't do that. He didn't say, if you donate online, not only that, you'll get one of my prayer cloths. And, and He didn't do that. He said... I'm going to proclaim him to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. <clears throat> oh, well, there are some Jews that would probably say, Huh? What you talking about? Doesn't. <laughs> we have a temple. This was before 70 AD. And so they would refute that. And Paul, he was a Pharisee, one of the Sanhedrin. And he just said that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Well, who made that temple? It was made with hands. So there's a problem here. It seems like there's a contradiction. No, God doesn't dwell there. He drops in once in a while. He visits with them there. But here's the thing when Jesus died on the cross, he said, It is finished. And the veil in the temple, the veil separated the most holy place inside the temple from the sanctuary of the temple. And that's where once a year, the high priest would go into that holy place and he would go in to meet with God and atone for the sin of the nation of Israel. And, and he would go in and they would tie a rope around his ankle And He had little bells that hang from the strings on his robe. If they didn't hear that, they figured he's laying down and they're going to drag him out because the high priest had to be cleansed before he was able to go in and cleanse the sins of the nation. And so... At that point, when Jesus said, it is finished, and that veil was torn from top to bottom, this wasn't a veil that goes over your face, this little, you know, thing that goes over your face in a a wedding, or that's not the kind of veil this was. It was four inches thick. It took a hundred men to take it down and bring it to the river to wash it. This was some heavy material, and it was torn from top to bottom opening up the Holy of Holies, exposing that to everyone. Because we now have a God that we can have a relationship with directly. And we don't need... You see, Jesus atoned for all the sin, for all time, for all who receive him as Lord and Savior. That's what Paul's message is. And so, that's right. God does not dwell in temples made with hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. That's still true today. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He created everything through one man, Adam, All of us are related. We may look a little different, but we are all related. We're all from the same blood through Noah's family. And then to this time, see, Noah was related to Adam also. And then to this time, we are all related. We came from that family. And so we are one blood. You know, and... and Paul's calling this out. Hey, you know what? God did this. And He is the one that provides for all of us. He takes care of all our needs. And He has given us, it's one blood for every nation. And He has the pre appointed boundaries for our dwellings. So He knows where we were going to be today. He knew. He knows. And he knows where we're going to be tomorrow. Whether it's going to be here or somewhere else, he knows. And he wants us to seek him. So that we may grope for him and hopefully find him. But he's near. But most people don't believe that. And so there are people groping for God in all the wrong places. You know, they think that they can find God... In love, in money, in travel, being, you know, in some unique remote place. Oh, we can see God in those things. There are some places on the world that are just amazing. I've seen them on Facebook. And they are just amazing pictures of them. Uh, they must be real and and so we don't have to actually go there we can watch a sunrise and just know that god is near and and so he wants us to but you know what happens is people equate all of that to science and evolution and and, and it's just happenstance and they don't want because God is too restrictive. He, he he makes them, you know, oh, you have to live a certain way for God? Oh, well, that's not the God I worship. The God I worship, I can live any way I want. Well, then, if that's the case, then you are God. If you can live any way you want... And you just appoint you to yourself to be God. And that's how most people live their lives. Or, like the Epicureans, they live for pleasure and they don't believe in any God. But even at that point, how do you know that there's not a God? Just because you haven't seen them? I I don't I don't subscribe to that. So it says, for in him and uh, we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets, now he's going to quote their poets, say, for we are also his offspring. Now, that's not saying that he agrees with the poets that everyone that is um, born is God's offspring, although it's true. Everyone that is born since Adam is God's offspring, right? God created Adam and Eve, everyone since then is his offspring. But that doesn't mean you're a child. Here's the problem, I need to see a letter of adoption. You see, until I see a letter of adoption from God that says that you are a child of God, we're all suspect. By the way, I don't have one either. I have it in my heart. See, I know in my heart that I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I don't have to prove that to you. But hopefully my life proves that to you. My speech proves that to you. My vision, my goals, my desires, how I live, proves that to you. And if it doesn't, that's your problem. I I know that's kind of harsh, but here's the reality. We are responsible to God. I'm not responsible to you. You're not responsible to me, but we should be encouraging each other and to be responsible to God. You know, because we all want to share the same joy the same peace that God has given us, we want to share it with each other, so that we can celebrate being in the family. You know, I, I want to throw a party and have my whole family there. You know, and and so, as we all know that we're family, I'm not going to check your card at the door. But if you want, if you say, "Hey, I'm a child of God," then come on in. And let's fellowship together. Even Judas got to hang out with the eleven. He saw everything that they saw, except his heart wasn't converted. He acted like they did. I believe that God may actually have used him to heal people because he was doing it in Jesus' name, not in his own name. God can use a donkey to talk to someone. And, you know, I I often feel like the donkey, but that's, that's God's work. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked But now commands all men everywhere, and women by the way, to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. That's the evidence for God. That's the evidence for my salvation. That's the evidence for what I believe. He raised Jesus from the dead, proving that he had power over life and death. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this manner. And so Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So very few people received what he had to say. Very few. He's speaking to a big group of people. But they said, some of them mocked, first of all. Second, some of them said, hey, we'll hear you again on this matter. You know what they didn't say? We'll hear you again Tomorrow. We want to hear more tomorrow. They just said, we'll hear you again on this matter. But, you know, we got the Buddhists um, scheduled for tomorrow. Hindus are the day after. So we need to hear them too. And so maybe we can fit you in next week or something like that. They, they weren't that interested in hearing the truth. But just a few believed. That's the world today. That's the very thing that we see happening in our world today. We share the good news of Jesus Christ, and some believe, and some mock, and some said, eh, we'll talk about it. I've got plenty of time. I'm young. Let me just sow my wild oats first, and then, you know, I'll... time for selling has passed. The the nation is in trouble, but not because of what's going on in our government. The nation is in trouble because there's going to be judgment against the world because of what the world has done with Jesus. It has nothing to do with who the government is. It has to do with the days that we're living in. We're living in the days of the fulfillment of prophecy and we're seeing it before our very eyes. And Paul felt that way about this when he was standing there in the Areopagus. You see, Paul actually believed that he was going to be raptured when he wrote to the Thessalonians. He he said, we, when we are caught up in the air... Okay, he believed he was going to be caught up in the rapture. It wasn't until later when he realized that there's going to be some time before that actually takes place. But at this point, when he's speaking to these people, he believed that the Lord can return at any time. And now we, through the understanding of Scripture, through the wisdom of prophecy, are able to understand that the time is short and that it really is going to happen very soon. If it wasn't, we wouldn't understand as much as we do now. I believe that God in these last days has revealed these things to the church because he wants us to know. He wants us to be prepared. And that's, the condition of the church today. Unfortunately, there are many churches out there that are living like those that were in the Areopagus that didn't believe or that said, ah, we'll talk in the future. There are more people out there that are lost and they don't want to be found They don't want the directions. They want, they're they're enjoying the journey being lost. And we are the instrument that God uses, just like he was using Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to minister to the church back then. We are the instrument that God wants to use to reach the world today with the good news. And so that's really where our focus uh, should be. The Greek philosophers 2,000 years ago were just looking for information and they aren't seeking the truth. We are seeking the truth. That's why you're here today. You didn't come here to hear me tell jokes. Uh, If you did, you're disappointed. But you came here to hear the word of God and to hear what God wants to say to you. And I pray that he has spoken to you today through his word. Many of these people out there, they are seeking the unknown God, but they're looking at the wrong altars and the wrong temples to find him. God is calling us to live our examples so that we can demonstrate who he is by how we live. So let's go out and show the world. Amen.